before the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your blessings, Lord. Um, as we go into your word now, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, to receive what you have for us and make it clear, Lord, through the pages. And we just thank you for this and we commit this to you in Christ's name. And we ask it in his name alone. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. And you can turn in your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 3. That's where we'll be tonight. So Paul is moving into this next section of his book. Uh, and he'll be sharing with us some of his doctrine. Um, the first two chapters he establishes authority as an apostle. And he takes a great deal of time saying that, that this gospel that he has, that he was preaching, is one that was, if you remember, uh, one that the Jerusalem Council accepted, that it was accepted amongst all the leaders of the church. And he told us in, those, in the first two chapters that he didn't receive it from man, that he received it from Jesus himself. And like I said, it was tested in the council there in Jerusalem and, and approved by them. And when uh, Peter came up there to Antioch and got off course, Paul reproved him to his face in front of the church and Peter backed down in light of the gospel that he had been preaching. And with all of that in mind, we're going to, um, we're, we're not going to frustrate the grace of God if righteousness comes by the law, then Jesus died in vain. That's what he will tell us. Now, as he moves into chapter 3, he is going to talk about his theology. He talked about his experience, his authority, and now he's going to lay out step by step his theology in regards to these things. And then when we get to chapters 5 and 6, he is going to make application of those things to us. He begins with a challenge uh, to the Galatian churches uh, and uh, to challenge them that he is amazed that they are being moved away from the grace of God by legalism and going to talk to them about God's Holy Spirit working in their lives and know this, that from this chapter to chapter 6, that the Holy Spirit is mentioned 18 times in the book. And Paul is basically saying that where the grace of God is, the Holy Spirit is. And where the word of God is, the grace of God is, and the Holy Spirit is there, and they are inseparable. So we start out here in chapter 3, in verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. So the word uh, anatos is what is used here, the, the word for foolish. And it denotes the stupidity that arises from deadness and impotence of intellect. It means lacking in the power of uh, perception, unwise. And it refers to one who does not reflect 
The word speaks of failure to use one's powers of perception. In other words, that Paul really had this expectation that they would know better, uh, that they were smarter than that, uh, that they had been taught, they had been schooled well, but yet they were being drawn away. They were being deceived. They weren't using the powers of perception that God had given them. And so he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Um, the only time that this word bewitched is used in the, this is the only time that the word bewitched is used in the New Testament. And it's not specifically talking about witchcraft. Uh, the idea here is that it's one who is hypnotized. Um, and who, he asked the question, who has fascinated you with something else? Who has cast a spell on you? What has happened to you? And I don't know you anymore, basically, is what he's saying. He says, I'm shocked on what you're thinking and how you're acting. And so that's the idea of it here. When he speaks of them, when he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has, who has drawn you away from the truth? Barclay translates bewitched as put, the evil, put on the evil eye. The ancient Greeks were accustomed, and accustomed to and afraid of the idea that a spell could be cast upon them by an evil eye. The evil eye was thought to work in the way a serpent would, uh, could hypnotize its prey with its eyes. Once the victim looked into the evil eye, the spell could be cast. So therefore, uh, the way to overcome the evil eye was simply not to look at it. And using this phrasing and using the word picture of bewitched, Paul is encouraging the Galatians to keep their eyes always steadfast upon Jesus. And that's true, and that's true for us as well. When they ask the question, who, who bewitched you? Who, how could you be so foolish? It truly comes down to that they've taken their eyes off of the Lord. Off the Lord and off his word. And now they're being drawn away. And of course, we remember as we've been going through the book, we know what's drawing them away. It's the Judaizers. It's legalism. It's the law that they're getting into. They're being drawn away from the grace of God and brought under the law of uh, the Old Testament. It is wonderful to have a soft and tender heart before God. But some people have softer heads than hearts. Their minds are too accommodating to wrong, unbiblical ideas, and they don't think things through to see if they really are true or not according to the Bible. And, uh, and certainly, I think that we have this kind of thing going on a great deal today in, in the church, uh, people being drawn off by people who are convincing with their, with their doctrines, even though they're not biblical. And even though that you can, you can even go to the scriptures and see that they're not biblical, but yet people are oftentimes still being drawn away by them. And this is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Even as a baby will stick anything into its mouth, this is the same way that people do today. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4, it says, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 
For if he who comes preaching another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you re, uh, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well be put. You may well put up with it. And uh, and certainly this was the problem in Galatia as well as Corinth, as well. The idea behind. Um, clearly portrayed as it says here you know Paul says look he says this is why I expect more from you it's because Christ has been clearly portrayed among you as crucified so in other words they have a clear presentation of the gospel the word there where it's in, uh, that is used for portrayed it, it means billboarded in other words there's been a billboard that's been put up for everybody to see. And in their day, this is how they communicated to the community. And that is, if, if there was a new edict that come down from Rome or whatever, then they would put it up on a billboard, if you will, and they'd put it up there in the community, and people would see it and they would know. And it was clear for everybody, they understood. This is how they got the word out for what was going to be taking place, the changes in laws or whatever it may have been. And Paul says, this has clearly been billboarded for you. It's there for everybody to see, and you have, have seen it. And it was to, to be publicly displayed. Paul wonders how the Galatians could have missed the message because he certainly made it clear enough to them. Bottom line, being told that one can please God by certain behavior is very appealing to our ego. The question is, who? Who is it that had drawn you away? Who is that one that led you astray? It's a good warning, I think, for us in our own lives to be cautious, to be aware that uh, the enemy is out there always looking for the one that's vulnerable, always looking for the one that will listen to the lies. And so we need to protect ourselves as much as possible, staying close to the Lord in prayer and the study of his word and fellowship and all those things combined together make us a nice, healthy individual and give us strength in our walk with Christ. And so Paul asked them, who is it? Who is it that would do this to you? And it's not that, it, that Paul didn't know particularly who it was, but the idea is look, about, look at who is doing this. These people are telling you that there is more to following Christ than just faith. And we're going to see as he develops in this chapter that he speaks about that, about how it is that regeneration is through faith in Jesus Christ and to him alone. In verse 2, he says, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So this rhetorical question pointed to the time of their conversions when they received the Holy Spirit. Paul did not question their salvation, but challenged them to consider whether they were saved by and received uh, the Spirit by faith or on the basis of works. It was, of course, by faith, and when they heard Paul preach the gospel, that's what they did. They responded to it by faith. And you know, you think about this. Think about your own personal conversion to Christ. 
It wasn't that you decided that you needed to obey the law, uh, that you wanted to come to God. It was that you heard you were a sinner, you needed a Savior, and you confessed that before the Lord, and you received the Holy Spirit at that time in your life. And it wasn't by the works of the law. It wasn't by works of righteousness. It wasn't by something that you did. It wasn't that, you know, you became a Christian because you became a better person. You went out and you did good works and you did things that brought you closer to God. And so that's how you, you know, eventually came to the Lord. No. Well, at least I didn't come to the Lord that way. I was just simply a sinner. God pointed it out to me. It was very clear. And I responded. I said, yes, you're right. That's what I need. Give it to me. Give me that salvation. So rich and free. It was only after I became a Christian when I got all hung up and all the do's and don'ts. Right? Before that, it was just simple. Simple faith. Simple trust in the Lord. The Holy Spirit, His job is simply as it's stated in John 16, 8. He says, And when He has come, the Holy Spirit... He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts persons of their need for salvation. You know, we got a gentleman that's going to come and share with us Sunday morning, Brenton Powers. And uh, he is a part of a ministry where they, they go out in the communities and they do outreach all the time. And they use all kinds of they use all kinds of bait, right? Uh, they do painting. You know, you've seen these guys that go and they set up a big canvas and they just start painting and do all this kind of stuff. And they'll do pictures and stuff and incorporate within that an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They go out and they just they do start doing music on the street, different things like that, doing outreach. And this is, this is why I have him coming, because this is where we're headed as a church start doing outreach to start going out in the community because man i'm telling you it really is needful in in the in sacramento for sure and i would venture to say you know throughout the united states it's so necessary right now we need this because of the fact that people are not coming into the church anymore and the gospel is being you know uh, resisted in every corner, which leads me to this point. We know that no one comes to faith except for by the Holy Spirit. And we know the God of this world has men's minds blinded. And we need to be praying. We need to be praying and interceding for those who do not know Christ. That God would break through, that the Holy Spirit would crack their hearts and open their minds, that they would understand the truth, just as all of us in this room at one point came to that place. We recognized our need for Christ, and it wasn't because we were doing works of righteousness. It was because God and his Holy Spirit was working in us to do what he wants to do, I believe, in everyone. And that's why it's important as we begin as a church to, to start venturing out in this direction of evangelism and trying to reach the lost that are in our communities, that it has great prayer that goes up before it, before we even go out. That if it's not preceded by prayer, it'll be ineffectual. I believe that. I believe that prayer is the battle weapon that tears down strongholds and barriers and opens people's hearts and minds. 
I think, it's, I think it's important, and this is one of the reasons that Brenton is coming. He's going to be sharing a word with us. He'll be coming back again, and we're going to, he's going to take us out and lead us in some outreaches. And so that, you know, he's going to go with us, and he's going to teach us how he does it. And, you know, we're going to be able to use some of those tools. We also have some other thing that's, that's coming up. It's uh, through Evangelism Explosion. Uh, and we're going to be learning that one as well. I, I don't think there's one single way to evangelize. I think there are many methods. And I think that part of the problem that we may have is that we feel like, well, there's just this one way to do it. Well, that's not the case. I think there are different ways that do it. And there's different, there's different bait to put on the hook. There's, there's different ways to present the bait. There's all these different things. So we want to do that, but we need to understand that, that we as a body need to be praying and, and, and then be willing to, be willing to go, be willing to go out and to evangelize. I don't think the Lord's done yet. He hasn't come back for us, so I'm sure he's not done yet. He still wants to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the only answer that the Galatians could give to this question was that they received the Spirit not by obedience to the law, but through their faith in Paul's message of grace. The same thing for us, the same for all. They come to the Lord that way. We all have different testimonies, which is always the exciting thing, right? Isn't that what's wonderful about getting to know uh, new, new friends in Christ? You get to share the stories, the story of what God has done and how you came to faith, no matter how, how young you were, you know, or how wonderfully nice you were, especially compared to me, right? We all have that story about what God has done. And I believe that he still wants to do so much more. In verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So he asked that question. Having begun your Christian life in dependence upon the indwelling spirit, are you now being brought on to the, the state of spiritual maturity by the means of self-effort? Is it that, that, that because now that I've walked with the Lord for years and I know scripture and I know the do's and the don'ts and everything else, does that mean that, that through my actions that I'm, I'm being you know, made more perfect in Christ? Or is it that his perfection in me is what's making me more into the image of Christ? And that he's working effectively in my life to change me so that I look more and more like Christ instead of more and more like Bob. And no, that doesn't mean God's told me to shave my beard. I, I get to keep that. But well, Jesus must have had a beard. So I do look like Jesus. Ladies, what do you think about it? You want to pray the Lord gives you a beard? You know, wouldn't that be sweet? Probably not, huh? The church of bearded women, I could just see it now. <laughs> we would be an attraction in the community, wouldn't we not? <laughs> well, of course, presupposing the answer that the Galatians became Christians by faith, Paul asked if they were so foolish as to think that they can begin the Christian life in one way by faith 
and move on to spiritual maturity in another by works. This was what the Judaizers uh, promoted. This is what they were saying. Now that you come to faith in Christ, now you need to be circumcised. This was a major issue, a, po- a, a bone of contention that was being presented to them. You know, and then from there, of course, there were other things that they wanted them to do. And we'll see later on in this book that Paul makes it clear that the only reason they're doing it is for them, for themselves, not for you. It's for them so that they look good, so that they can have their point. Uh, This is what they promoted. But the means of justification and sanctification were and are the same. There was no provision under the law for the Holy Spirit to do a work of sanctification. And, uh, and so they were looking, of course, to that work of the law in order to complete them, to make them whole. But yet, when it talks about perfecting and it talks about um, being made perfect, we have to understand that the word there simply means to be complete. It's not perfect in that sense that you will be perfect, but that you will be whole, that you will be complete. Oswald Chambers has this to say. He said, Christian perfection is not and never can be human perfection. Christian perfection is the perfection of a relationship with God that shows itself to be true even amid the seemingly unimportant aspects of human life. It's, it's not about, you know, me being able to do everything perfectly. It's not about me being able to do the law, to keep the law. It is that perfection is about that relationship with God through love. That each day, each week, each year, each month, all the time, that my love relationship with Christ must be growing. You know, the problem that I have in my life is that I, that I am a man of flesh. And because I'm a man of flesh, it gets in the way between me and my love for Christ. And so there's this, this tension that is always there, which means that there must always be care. It's, it's not something that I can just turn away from and not address in my life. It's something that must be addressed each and every day. Because the old man is always poised and ready to rise. He is waiting to get up. And it doesn't matter how many times I crucify him. It doesn't matter how many times I kill that guy. It seems like he is never ending in his desire to come back. And I have found, you know, it's the old, the old uh, saying. I don't know who said it, but it, it certainly is true. You know, you have two dogs. You know, whichever one you feed is the one that's going to be the strongest. And there's the flesh and there's the spirit. And whichever one you feed is going to be the strongest. And so if you're not feeding the flesh, I mean the spirit every day, uh, then your flesh is going to be strong. It's the natural thing that takes place. The old man trying to come back and to interfere in that love relationship with Christ. And that's the sweetness of it all. It's It's not that difficult. You know, I don't have to work at loving my wife. She makes sure of it. If I don't love her, she tells me. 
Well, maybe she doesn't, but you get my point. It, it's not something I have to work at. I love her, and, and I love loving her, and I desire to love her more because I love her. And, and it's something that we do, you know, naturally as husband and wife. But the problem there is, is we're both a couple of flesh balls, and every once in a while we're feeding the flesh more than we are the love for one another. And we have to work at it, and that's okay. Because God has made us made a way for us to be able to do that. And so we love one another and we practice that each and every day. And as a matter of fact, the challenges, of course, of the word, right? The word says that I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Now listen, fellas, I know that you guys haven't got there yet. But when you come, become like me and you perfect that, uh, you'll be doing pretty good. Yeah, right. And all those that believe that stand on your head, right? Because you know that that's not true. I haven't perfected that. But the reminder in the word is that this is something I should be doing all the time, is loving my wife as Christ loves the church. And his Holy Spirit is so gracious to me to reveal to me when I'm not, so that I can repent of that and to love her even more. Well, it's the same relationship with God. This is where you know marriage uh, uh, and family uh, you know, are that great, that great type of the relationship between Christ and his church. And so there's that love relationship that goes on. And there is that, that's that the, the, the telling of his word in his word of where we fail and what we need to do in order to be able to do it as he would desire us to do it, including in loving him. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I tell the Lord, I don't love you enough. I don't love you enough. I love the Lord. I do. I love the Lord with all that is within me. But there's that, those times when I realize that I don't love him enough. I can love him more. And love, love is something that's to be enjoyed. Enjoyed. Right? Isn't that what makes marriage so wonderful? Getting to experience it, that kind of love with one another and for one another. And God makes it easy for us and easy with him as well. And that's why Paul says, look, don't, don't go to the law. Don't try to earn your righteousness. Don't try to, to be good enough. Understand you'll never be, but Christ in you enables you to do what is right and to love him. And he wants that kind of communion with us day by day. We have to understand that the law never could accomplish sanctification. You know, like I had said last week, you know, the law, the law uh, takes you and shows you your sin, but never shows you the way to really get rid of it. Where grace does, it brings you to your sin, and it says, look, this is how you can get rid of it. Confess, repent. And grace is far more demanding than the law. People that want to put themselves under the law to find righteousness, uh, I think they're trying to find the easy way out, to be honest with you. Because grace is far more demanding. The law says that you have failed. And grace says that you have failed. Now get up and go. And it never takes, the law never takes its hook out of you. But grace does. It takes the hook out and enables you to continue on. 
in your walk and your relationship with Christ. In verse 4, he says, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So they had suffered persecution. Uh, and would they have experienced this if they were not saved? Yeah, they would not have. And we know that Paul did suffer persecution in this region that he is talking about here. In Acts 14, 21 and 22, it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I wonder what a different message it would be that we would preach if we lived in a place where if you accepted Christ, guaranteed you're going to be persecuted for it. We make it pretty easy here. We do. We plead with people. Oh, please, you're a sinner. Receive Jesus as your Savior. As if, you know, that you're doing Jesus a favor. When indeed Jesus is doing something for us, it's not a favor, it's giving us his favor, not a favor, his favor when we do that. Paul, when he was ministering to these people, he was telling them, guess what? You will suffer persecution. You remember there in 1 Timothy, Paul said that. All those who want to live God, or 2 Timothy, I'm sorry. All those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. And, and we, we kind of ignore that. We don't even give that any credence at all in our life. Because we think, oh, no, that, sh that shouldn't even happen. We're Americans. We shouldn't have to suffer any, any persecution for being a Christian. I do know this, that when, when the church fails to move through God's nudging, he will generally bring a push. And it may take that kind of a push in our country to where we experience persecution as Christians in order to see the church really come alive, to see revival, to see the cleansing, the purifying, I believe that God wants to do in the church. I would say, let it come, but I don't want to see that. I say, church, change. Be revived. Look to the Lord. Don't, don't have to go through that kind of persecution for your faith. Because God desires that we wouldn't Otherwise, we would have had it a long time ago. But he knows what we need, and he'll bring it for sure. So this makes it clear that Paul and his companions were persecuted vigorously. And Paul, even being stoned and left for dead uh, by the Jews when they were among the cities of Galatia. Surely, some of this persecution spilled over to the Christian congregations. Paul left behind uh, that Paul left behind in Galatia. Paul reminded them that if they turned from grace to law, they would brand th their former position in error and would then have suffered so much for nothing. But the apostle was unwilling to believe that this was so. In other words, when he asked them that question, you know, have you suffered so many things in vain? if indeed it was in vain. He was speaking to people that had already suffered persecution for the name of Christ. And he says, did you do that for nothing? 
You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, suffering is not one of my favorite things to do. And I can tell you this for sure, it's not something that I want to repeat after I've gone through it once. You know, I can think of different things in my life, not, not spiritual persecution, not persecution for being a believer, uh, but the trials and the tribulations that I've gone through in my life that I never want to experience again. You know, being in the hospital, staying there, being near death. Uh, if I never have to do that again before I die, <laughs> I'll be happy. <laughs> All right. But then again, that might be where I die. So, <laughs> you know, who knows? But uh, the point being, there are things that I don't want to repeat. I'm glad that you don't have two appendix, right? Having the first one almost kill me was enough. I don't need to do that one again, right? And so it is that any suffering that I go through, I want to learn from that as much as I can and move on, go forward. You know, I believe that in everything that takes place within our life, there are valuable things that God wants to do, wants to work in our life through whatever situation that we may be in. Every one of them. The, the problem is with us, you know, will we learn, will we listen, will we see what God wants to do, will we be open to what God wants to do in the midst of it, right? A lot of times, I don't know about you guys, but me, when I am sick, <clears throat> uh, if, if you guys want to see a different Bob, all you have to do is come to my house when I'm sick, and you will see a different guy, because if you come over, I'll bite you. I'm like that dog that you put over in a corner, and it's, he just snarls and growls if you come near him. Don't touch the dog. He will bite. I am like that, right? When I'm not sick, I'm okay. But when I am, boy, and I have to learn lessons through those things. As God teaches me how to overcome those things and to maintain that, that walk in the Spirit. That attitude, I, I admire those that I have watched die. That, man, I mean to tell you, they, they, they've done it very well. Uh, and I wonder, when I say well, in that whole time as they're doing it, they are witnessing to others. They're sharing with them. They're loving on people. And the people are going, oh my gosh, this man, you know, he is truly a saint. Look at all this that he is doing as he is dying. I would hope that I could do that. I don't know that I will because the times when I've been in the hospital, I found it very difficult to do it. And God has had to force me into situations when I was in the hospital with COVID. I'm telling you, man, I, I did not want to talk to anybody. I did, certainly didn't want to have any kind of a meaningful conversation at all. But I had a great nurse who was a believer. And uh, he, he found out I was a pastor. Boy, that was a big mistake. <laughs> he wanted to have conversations constantly about different things that were not just simple little, I mean, they were deep. And I wanted to say, just leave me alone. But the pastor in me wouldn't let that happen. And so, you know, I, I, I was able to minister to him. And he really ministered to me too, uh, as well, greatly. And I know that I did. I shared with others that were caring for me. I shared with them about the Lord. But boy, I'll tell you, I don't, from my, from my point of view, I didn't do a good job. I was pretty nasty. I was pretty, you know, leave me alone kind of guy, you know. 
God wants to work in us and through us in all circumstances. It doesn't matter what it is. And if it's too difficult, then we have to understand that we're not walking in that spirit. We're not depending upon that spirit to do through us what we cannot do ourselves. And that's what's really important in all situations within our life. That's what we are to do. In verse 5, he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So the miracles that were performed among the Gentiles by divine power, uh, they were recorded in Acts chapter four, uh, 14. I'm sorry. In verse 3, it says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the world of his grace, granting signs and wonders being done by their hands. And then in verses 8 through 11, it says, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently, and seeing that he had, he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked, or leapt and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying, In the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. You know, it's, it's a good example because... Paul and Barnabas uh, were there and they were doing miracles and the people saw it and they instantly wanted to give credit and glory to the Greek gods, Roman gods. You know, and they said, this is who, what Paul and, and Barnabas were. They were the, the two gods. And Paul has to tell them, no, that, that's not true. We are just mere men just like you. And so Paul has to show them that it is the Spirit of God in them and through them that is doing the work. And that's what Paul is making the point of. He said, look, it, you guys know, you, you've heard these things, that it was the Spirit of God in us that was doing the work. It wasn't, it wasn't by the works of the law. It wasn't because we were holy men, you know, priests and rabbis and so on and so forth. It was because God and his Holy Spirit was working in us and through us. And it was clear, furthermore, that these supernatural works were not the result of the works of the law, but from the hearing that leads to faith. The Galatians did not know the law, and Paul's message was that of justification by faith and faith alone. In verse 6, it says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the Judaizers claim to have the Old Testament on their side, especially looking to Moses as their teachers, their teacher. But Paul went centuries further back and said, Consider Abraham, how he how was he the father of the Jewish people justified? The answer was simple and direct. Noting Genesis 15:6, Paul declared he believed God. And that and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith in God's ability to perform what he promised was accepted by God as righteousness. And so the patriarch was justified before he was circumcised. How then could the Judaizers insist that circumcision was essential to be accepted by God? 
If, if the father of faith, Abraham, was considered to be a righteous man because of his faith in God before God ever gave him the covenant of circumcision, how could they then require that this would be a way that you now would become justified before God to be circumcised? Because they were always pointing to, to the Moses, to the law. They were telling him, hey, look, this is what the law says, this is what we do, this is what you have to do, so on and so forth. But Paul takes them back to the beginning where it's a great example of grace and faith in the Old Testament in that he points to Abraham before he received that covenant of circumcision. In verse 7 it says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So he, he says, look, he says, all those who are going to be true sons of Abraham are those that are of faith, not of the circumcision. You know, I was very mindful of what he says in Romans, you know, about all those who are of the seed of Abraham are not the seed. Not all of them are of the seed. Just because they're born a Jew doesn't make them of the seed of Abraham because those who are of the seed of Abraham are those who are of faith and not of works, not of the law, none of those things. And so to be a child of God and to be a son or a daughter of Abraham, it's real simple. We just simply have to have faith. We have to trust the Lord. In every generation, salvation is by faith and it's been that way from the beginning it's there there's there's no difference if you look through in you know the old testament you find that those that were great men and women of god who followed the lord had faith in him i love i love uh, david king david because of the fact that he's one of those great examples in the old testament of of a of a person who understood grace and mercy and faith in God. Even when it wasn't clearly portrayed within the Old Testament necessarily as much as it is in the New Testament, yet David understood it. He had a clear understanding of the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God. And he trusted in the Lord. He believed in the Lord. That's, that's faith. Striking a tremendous blow at the Judaizers, Paul linked that past with the present and declared that just as Abraham was saved by faith, so were those who claimed to be his children. Gentiles, um, were anticipated in the universal aspect of the Abrahamic covenant when God announced the gospel to Abraham. We don't overlook that Paul referred to the scripture speaking as though God were speaking. So it can rightly be affirmed that what the Bible says, God says. This is similar uh, <clears throat> verses. There are similar verses in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 35, 2 Timothy 3.16, and 2 Peter 1.20 and 21, where it speaks of God's, the word being God's words itself. And they provide important support for believing in the absolute and total inspiration and authority of Scripture. 
Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Only those who have faith receive the blessing of justification. Thus, Paul drew a distinction between God's provision and human appropriation. When you think about this, through faith, we are justified before God. That means that our sin is wiped out. It's not sitting over here in a basket for somebody to pull out and to bring before the Lord again. It is wiped out. When, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are justified before God because of the righteousness of Christ and his blood. When it comes to the law, there is no justification. There isn't. And so therefore, who wants to be under the law? Hopefully, no one. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, those that are under the law are cursed because if they want to be justified by the law, and they must keep the whole law. And you can't, of course. James 2.10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So there's, there's the condemnation of the law, no matter how much of it you have kept. If you slip one time and break the law, now you have just, you've broken all the law, according to what God says in his word. In verse 11 it says, But that... No one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just by, shall live by faith. And this is a quote out of Habakkuk 2, 4. Um, this brief statement from the prophet Habakkuk is one of the most important and most quoted Old Testament statements in the New Testament. Paul used it here to show that the just shall, uh, just, that the just live by faith and not by the law. And being under the law isn't the way to be found just before God. Only living by faith is. If you are found to be just, uh, approved before God, you have done it by a life of faith. And if your life is all about living under the law, then God does not find you approved. And uh, also, uh, every word in Habakkuk 2.4 is important, and God quotes it, three times in the New Testament just to bring out the fullness of its meaning. In Romans 1.17, Paul quoted the same passage from Habakkuk 2.4. The emphasis was on faith, the just shall live by faith. In Hebrews 10.38, uh, when the writer to the Hebrews quoted the same passage from Habakkuk 2.4, the emphasis was on live, and just the just shall live by faith. And here in Galatians, when Paul quoted this passage from Habakkuk, the emphasis is on the just. The just shall live by faith. Yet, verse 12, the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. And Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So here we are told that Christ has become a curse for us, for cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. 
And this explains how Jesus paid the price to rescue us. Jesus became cursed on our behalf. He stood in our place and took the curse that we deserved. And uh, when it talks about hanging on a tree here, in thinking of the ancient Israel, there was something worse than being put to death, worse than what was to be put to death. And what was worse than to be put to death and have your corpse left in the open, exposed to shame, humiliation, and scavenging animals and birds. And when it says hangs on a tree, it does not have the idea of being executed by strangulation, but of having the corpse mounted on a tree for the for other prominent or other prominent place to expose the executed one to the elements and supreme disgrace. And of course, uh, this was one of the reasons why they wanted to take the Lord's body down, you know, so quickly. They wanted to get it off that cross because, you know, don't kid yourself. Uh, we we don't have these kind of things happen here necessarily. We don't see it happen very quickly anyways, where if there's a, a dead animal that you see scavenging animals come and begin to, you know, eat of it and that kind of thing. But, and you get outside the city, you get in the wilderness and stuff, that's not the case. Animal dies, it's a very short period of time and other animals, scavenging animals have found it and they begin to eat it, to devour it. And so, you know, when it says that he became a curse for us, it is that uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, it tells us that everyone who hangs on a tree, it, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And so that's why the law said that you weren't to leave him there overnight. You know, when he was hung there, that he had to be brought down. Um, this was the way of tempering even the most severe judgment with mercy. Significantly, Jesus fulfilled this also being taken down from the cross. That the blessing of Abraham might come, it says. Jesus received this curse which was deserved, uh, which we deserved, and he did not, he, and he did not. So that we could receive the blessing of Abraham, which he deserved and we did not. It would be enough if Jesus simply took away the curses we deserved, but he did far more than that. He also gave a blessing that we didn't deserve when he did this. The blessing of Abraham is what Paul already described here in this chapter. The blessing of being justified before God by faith instead of works. The Gentiles in Christ, uh, this tells us to whom the blessing of Abraham comes. Paul didn't mean that it only comes upon Gentiles as if Jews were excluded, but that it comes also upon Gentiles who are in Christ. The phrase in Christ Jesus is also important. The blessing doesn't come because they are Gentiles any more than the blessings of being right with God comes to the Jewish people because they are Jews. It comes to all, Jew and Gentile alike, who are identified in Jesus Christ and not by their own attempts to justify themselves. And so, uh, we are told that we receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. And this means that this blessing is ours in Jesus on faith and not on principle of law. The promise is received and not earned. And that's one of the things that we have to, I think, uh, 
be aware of. I think it's within the nature of man that we always feel that we need to do something, that just receiving that, that gift that God gives isn't really enough. There's got to be more that, that I have to do. It can't possibly be that simple. Well, it is that simple, and it's also uh, very easy to do, but it's very difficult to continue in. I think that there's always that challenge that draws us in. It says, well, I've got to do this in order to be right with God. No, what you have to do to be right with God is just simply to love him. And as you love him, then the Holy Spirit works within your life in order to weed out the things that need to be taken out. It's, it's not the other way around. You know, how many people have you known, have I known, that have said, when you talk to them about the Lord, they say, well, you know, when I get myself cleaned up, then I'll come to God. And, and unfortunately, there are a lot of believers that carry that on into their faith in Christ. They begin to, after they come to faith, then they begin to think, well, now it's up to me to clean myself up. And this is what was happening there in the churches of Galatia. You know, they were being told by religious men, and very impressive men. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've run across a lot of people who are very religious, who are very, very impressive with their knowledge and their ability, you know, to be able to argue and, and defend their points and all those kind of things, even though they're wrong. They're still very, very good at it and very convincing. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that are convinced by it. We need to make sure that we're not convinced by it, that we don't find ourselves in that trap of thinking that it's all about me. It's all about him and what he'll do in our lives. You know, it's one of those things that's, I, it's difficult for me, but yet it's necessary, and that is that I have to remember all I have to do is relax. That's all I gotta do is relax. And that's hard for a guy like me who's very hyperactive and, you know, always go, 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 do, 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 all that kind of stuff. You know, I would call myself a Martha, but I'm not a woman. I'm not going to go there. I, even though I'm in California, I'm not going there. Uh, but the truth is I, I have that tendency to where it's always do, 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 do. And I, I have to train myself to be that, that Mary that comes and sits at his feet because that's where I'll actually find my success in being a Martha. If I've chosen the better part first, then God will enable me and strengthen me to do all that I need to do. And I just need to step back, trust the Lord, and let him do what he wants to do in me. Right? Amen. Father, we thank you and we praise you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for, uh, Lord, the reminder of how important it is, Lord, that we find ourselves in that place, that sweet spot, that love relationship with you, understanding and knowing, Lord, that as we're doing that, that you'll guide, you'll direct our steps, our heart, our life, if we simply will trust you. Lord, help us to be that way. Help us to be the Mary so that then we can do the work that you desire for us to do. Lord, we love you so much. I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would begin to place within our hearts those that we need to pray for, that need to come to faith. We pray, God, that you would bless those, uh, Lord, that we pray for, 
by opening their hearts, their minds, and begin, Lord, to remove the blindness that has taken over. Lord, we live in a world where there are a lot of people that are blinded by the enemy. And God, we know the power of prayer, and we know the heart of God. And so we, add, we put those two things together, Lord, and I pray that we will begin to see the harvest, Lord, that there will be those that will come to faith in Christ. Lord, it's not to build us a big church, it's to build your kingdom, and it is to bring many souls into eternal life. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and we ask that you would do all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night. Yeah, they, they yeah, block several feet. Yeah. And it feels 